0: And give God some praise in his house. Amen. Glory be to God. What a great service. Que bonito servicio estamos teniendo. And let's go ahead and go to our Bibles, to the book of Acts, chapter twenty-four. capítulo Ese es el pasaje que me toca a mí. That's a passage that I was appointed to, Acts chapter twenty-four. And I'm excited to be here. But before I start my sermon, uh, I just want to go ahead and, and and boast a little, okay? Last week, last week we were able to play Northwest in volleyball, and in case you missed it, Northwest Español won, okay? So, just give you, if you weren't there, you can't talk. But if you were there, okay, you know what went on? It, it was a, it was a massacre, but. But it was good. We had fun. Tuvimos un buen tiempo la semana pasada y pudimos ganar en voleibol. Y este, nomás quería, I just wanted to let you know, okay? All right. Acts chapter 24, 14. That's going to be our main verse that we're going to look. But before that, I just want to give you a little bit of context of what's going on. Hechos capítulo 24, versículo 14. Quiero dar un poquito de contexto a, luego entrar a, a lo que vamos a aplicar. Something's going on here. Algo está pasando. El sumo sacerdote Ananias llama algunos hombres, algunos ancianos. We we see here that the high priest and some elders and a lawyer come before Felix, Felix the governor. They're about to have a trial. Y van a tener un proceso con Felix, que es el gobernador. Y están trayendo algunas acusaciones delante de Félix, de Pablo. They're bringing some accusations about Paul, to be exact. There's three accusations, and we see them in verse 5 and 6. And this is what they say about him. Mira lo que dicen de él. Versículos 5 y 6, verses 5 and 6. We have found this man to be a troublemaker, stirring up riots among the Jews all over the world. He is a ringleader of the Nazarene sect and even tried to desecrate the temple. So we seized him. Lo están acusando de estas cosas. Versículo 5. Hemos descubierto que es un hombre, es una plaga por todas las partes. Anda provocando disturbios. Es cabecilla de una secta de Nazareno. Incluso trató de profanar el templo. Por eso lo prendimos. They try to make Paul look like a troublemaker, a phony, a liar. Lo tratan de de, de acusar y, y decir que este es un hombre de problemas. Un mentiroso. They're making him look bad. Lo hacen querer ver mal. And I just want to remind you this morning. That's the same thing that happens to us. Our enemies, the enemy tries to make you look bad in front of this world. They lie about you. They make you look bad. They gossip. They attack your faith. They make fun of what you believe. Attack your values. They hurt your family. They say there's another gospel. They challenge our doctrine. They joke about our God. And try to destroy everything we stand for. And that's what's happening to Paul. They're trying to make this man look like a fool. they tratando de to ver a Pablo They put him on a test. Lo están probando a él delante del gobernador, delante de este sumo sacerdote, delante de este abogado, delante de la sociedad. Lo están tratando de ver como mal. In front of the governor, in front of the lawyer, in front of the, the priest, the high priest. They're making him look bad. It's a test that he's about to go ahead and be attacked and tested for. Now, Now, what is the response of Paul? ¿Qué les, es, eh, ¿Cómo contesta Pablo? Mira lo que dice el versículo 14. Look at verse 14. However, I admit, he starts with this, I admit. He first tells them, hey, what you've been saying is not true, but let me tell you what I admit for. Él dice, lo que ustedes me han acusado no es verdad, pero... Voy a algo. I'm going to admit something today in front of everybody. Enfrente de todos. Ahora, now, that, that word admit is very powerful. It's una palabra muy poderosa. That I was looking it up. I estaba viendo. And in the word admit, it's acknowledge, confess, I make known. He's about to disclose. He's about to make public. He's about to declare, profess, and own up to. Esa palabra admito es... He's about to tell him something that's very powerful. This statement that's coming up, it's very powerful that changed the people around him. He admits what? está Oh, he admits that he worships God, the God of our fathers, As a follower of the way. He said, hey, yo soy aquel que admito que yo sigo a Cristo. Que yo sigo el camino. He said, I go to the way. I follow the way. He wasn't afraid to say it. He wasn't afraid to admit it. He was like, if you could accuse me of anything, but I'm going to let you know who I am. And what I admit to, and what is what I'm going to go ahead and tell you right now, is that I follow Jesus Christ. That he is the way. That he's the one that changed me. He's the one that Change and has the power to change any person. The one that I follow, he said, is Jesus Christ. And let me tell you, church. If there's something that we could stand up for and stand by, it's Jesus Christ. Amen. Give God some praise. If there's something that we could do and, and, and abide by, it's through Jesus Christ. Why? Because He's the way. <laughs> I, I, I see Paul. When, remember when Jesus said in John 14, 6, Juan 14 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Upon you. That he had to share something that was gonna transform people, that was the gospel. If there's something that was gonna transform, was his savior. If there was something that was gonna make a difference, was the presence of God. And let me tell you, church, right now, let me see, si transformar y cambiar este mundo, y ayudarnos y defendernos, es Cristo Jesús. If There's something that could defend us, it's not us, church, it's not who we are, but Jesus Christ. God will bless you in the presence of those that break you. God will fill you in the presence of those that forsake you. God will use you in the presence of those that refuse you. God will lift you up in the presence of those that brought you down. God will promote you in the presence of those who persecuted you. God will crown you in the presence of those that cancel you, and God will shine on you... In the presence of those that have shun you. And that's why I say today, this morning, church, we have someone to follow. And that is Jesus Christ. Don't follow the world. Don't follow a cult. Don't follow an organization. Don't follow the, the ways of this earth, of this world. But follow Jesus Christ. Why? Because he's the best thing that ever happened. Let's pray. God, thank you, God, for you. Thank you for your love. Thank you, God, because you are the way, the truth. And there's no one but like you, Jesus Christ. And we worship you and adore you, God. And God, we lift up your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you.
1: Can you hear the prayers the people pray? Can you see the skies begin to break? When heaven and earth were face to face. Oh, how the world forever changed. for oh, God is with us.
2: We're going to pick up where Marisa left off, chapter 25, and we're really going to focus on the how and the why of what Marisa described the Lord is producing in us and through our suffering. Look at chapter 25. We won't have time to read the verses, but we're going to look at this theme of the suffering that Paul endures. In this chapter, Paul is once again on trial. This time it's before a new Roman governor, Festus. Felix has left the scene. He's been called back to Rome. Festus is on call to serve as the emperor's representative, the Caesar's representative. And in this case, the the bloodthirsty religious leaders are still after Paul. We see not only that, but King Agrippa, that is from a long line of King Herod's in the New Testament, is here as well, an incestuous king. And the question for us this morning is, why does God make us endure false accusation, imprisonment, beating, suffering, persecution for the sake of Christ? And for us, I think individually, it's a question of how would we respond to the Lord in those trials that we see in Paul? You see, suffering is a valuable tool to the Lord because of the transformation process it brings within us. We call that sanctification. I'm going to steal an illustration um, from A.W. Tozer in the book, The Root of Righteousness. He describes the relationship between a hammer and a nail and a carpenter. For our purposes, we're going to say that the carpenter is is the Lord, it's God. The hammer is suffering and the nail is our individual lives. And as we use this comparison, you can imagine a nail getting beaten over the head over and over again. May, if it had a person, i look back at the hammer and say, why do you continue to hit me? The hammer's response is justified, right? I'm only doing what the carpenter is having me do. And when we view our lives in the same way in the hands of the ultimate master for our eternity, we as the tools don't deserve the right or necessarily earn the right to see what the carpenter is building, but we can trust that what he is building is of eternal value. This brings us to our first point, which is that God uses his people's suffering to show his sovereignty. In Acts 23 11, we looked at this a week or so ago, but Paul has promised while he's in prison that you will be my witness in Rome. But upon that declaration of the Lord, it's not that Paul was given a one-way overnight ticket to Rome. Look at the end of chapter 24 where Mauricio just took us he has been in house arrest in Caesarea for over two years. This is a long, stretched-out system of injustice that Paul has been subjected to, but all along he knows that God is sovereign. Romans 13.1 tells us that there is no authority or ruler on earth that has not been designated by God himself. Look at this audience that, that Paul faces, right? We've already described some of the players, but Paul's submission to these evil leaders demonstrates his trust in the authority and sovereignty of God for his own life. And we have to remind ourselves that when life doesn't go our way, when we are unjustly accused, or maybe when society turns its back on the hope of the gospel and does not see the beauty of its light, God remains in control and is producing something through those circumstances that is for his glory and our good that brings us to our second point, that God uses individual sufferings of Christians to make us more like Christ. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, Paul gives the description that we're being transformed from one degree of glory to another. All this is by the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. For many of us, this may be a lifetime of suffering. For others, it may be uh, intense moments where we have an opportunity to stand for Christ and on his word. But regardless, the Lord allows us to suffer as a means of experiencing the fullness of his grace. Think about it. If we, as what Paul describes in Colossians 1.24, get to suffer alongside Christ, filling up what is lacking in his afflictions for the church, then there's an element that what we're experiencing is the weight and the penalty of our own sin. You see, our suffering should point us back to the grace and love of Christ that he bore for us. And that feeling doesn't leave us just sorrowful, remorseful for our sin. It produces in us a joy and a peace. In Luke 7 47, Jesus says, the one who's forgiven little loves little. But it's much more than just emotion that the Lord wants to produce. Hebrews 12 11, Paul, or the writer of Hebrews says, God uses suffering to produce in us the peaceful fruit of righteousness. God is not after just emotions of your heart. He wants to see your life transformed into a glorious way that demonstrates righteousness, true justice, peace, fruitfulness. Think of your life as the nail. Do you bend under spiritual pressure? Do you feel like you're going to break? Those are opportunities where we not only lean into the grace of God and the, the love that he's demonstrated through the cross, but we back up and we must mature in our understanding of what the Lord is producing And trust that the carpenter has an eternal value for our life, even when we can't see it. And that's our third point, right? We're not in this together. God uses the collective suffering of the church and its members to not only build the church to a greater glory, but ultimately to expand his kingdom. In 2 Corinthians 1-7, through Paul gives this description of how we receive comfort individually from the Lord, not just for our own good, but for the comfort and the benefit of others. God's not only given us historical examples from his word, he's given us faithful believers throughout church history that have stood the test that they've faced. But God has also given us one another, hasn't he, church? Look around you. Look at what Paul provide, is provided while well, he's in house arrest. Where is his house arrest? Where is he sent back to prison? Caesarea. Do you remember who was in Caesarea? Philip, Agabus, the other brothers and sisters that warned him, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. We don't want you to be arrested. God, in his divine sovereignty, puts him in the best situation that Paul could be in. Not only is Paul able to be comforted, and he's allowed to have visitors come and meet his needs, but he's able to comfort them by demonstrating what it looks like to suffer well for Christ. See, God has designed the church to be built up through mutual upbringing. What does that mean? The nail doesn't get to choose what other nails it's placed next to. Nails don't get to choose if they're a finishing nail for a nice piece of molding that everybody gets to see, or if they're a foundational nail that's hidden underneath the structure and the foundation of the church, but God in his divine sovereignty has provided us one another so that we can comfort one another's. Church, it's much more than just lifting ourselves out of the journal entry for our own good to say, God, thank you for bringing me through this. It's actually counterproductive for us to keep that to ourselves and not share with one another. You see, if you take our illustration, when we remove ourselves from Community, We actually flip the hammer and we pull out or deconstruct what the Lord wants to build through us. And if each of us is growing in godliness and righteousness, then what the Lord is producing in his house will be of the greatest value. And ultimately, as Rob reminds us weekly, if the Lord is building the house, it is for the purpose of the benefit of the nations to see the gospel played out through his people's lives. I'd encourage you this morning, let's endure suffering but let's endure it alongside one another for the purpose of being made more like Christ. Let me pray. Father, would you help us endure, but more importantly, God, would you mature in us a view of what it means to build one another up in love and good deeds for the purpose of growing in righteousness and holiness, not for our own good, but Father, for your sake, that the gospel may be best demonstrated through our life and ultimately that people may come to faith because they see the change within us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I thought I knew what I was talking about
0: when I testified of your great love. Well, I was a sore. So how amazing was grace. You brought me blessings out of a tragedy. Buenos dias, iglesia. Good morning, church. Vayan conmigo a Hechos capítulo 26. Come with me to Acts chapter 26. Y ya no tengo que dar mucho contexto porque ya los hermanos lo han hecho por mí. I don't have to give a lot of context because our brothers have already set that up for me. Pero en el capítulo 26, nosotros encontramos al apóstol Pablo haciendo algo que usualmente lo caracterizaba él. In, ver, in chapter 26, we find Paul doing something that he is used to doing and, and something that they recognize Paul doing. Es que bajo cualquier circunstancia, él defendía el nombre de nuestro Señor Jesucristo. That by any circumstance, he would defend the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Y esta vez, él estaba siendo acusado de predicar el Evangelio de Jesús, Nuestro Señor. And he was being accused of preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Y como parte de su defensa de esta acusación. And part of, the, of his defense of this accusation was his testimony. Él comparte su testimonio. <throat> he shares his testimony. La forma en que el Señor se le apareció a él cuando él estaba en su camino a Damasco. The, the way Jesus appeared to him when he was going to Damascus. Y en el versículo 16 al 18. In verses 16 to 18. Jesús mismo lo manda, manda a Pablo para alcanzar a los gentiles. We see Jesus even himself sends Paul to go and reach the Gentiles. And convert, convert them to the gospel. Convertirlos al evangelio. Y en el, vers- en el versículo 19, Pablo dice que él no fue desobediente a este llamado. And in verse 19, we see that he was not rebellious or rebelled against this calling. Pero él fue y anunció. But he went and announced the good news. Las buenas nuevas. The good news of gospel. Así que mis hermanos, este llamado... No es solo para Pablo. This calling is not only for Paul, my brothers. Toda que ha sido por a Every person that has been called by Jesus Christ through salvation ha sido a ser un de has also been called to be a witness of Jesus Christ. Así que, mi esta es, my cómo, question is for this morning is, cómo lo How are we doing that? Pablo usó cada oportunidad que él tuvo. Paul used every opportunity he had. Incluso esos momentos difíciles que él tuvo cuando enfrentó la muerte. Even when he had those difficult times, even when he was in front of death. Él los usó para compartir el Evangelio. He used those times to share the gospel. Y nosotros no enfrentamos lo que Pablo enfrentó. And we don't, we don't go with, by what, uh, or went, has gone through what Paul went through. Nosotros no enfrentamos aquí en este país la muerte. We haven't faced the death because of preaching the gospel. So, debería ser más fácil para nosotros. So, that means it should be easier for us to share the gospel. ¿No lo creen ustedes? Don't you believe that? Pero, el punto aquí. The point here. Es que Pablo había sido impactado de, por el evangelio de una manera Que él no podía parar de compartir el evangelio y de predicarlo. The point here is that Paul had been impacted by the gospel in such a way that he couldn't stop talking about and sharing the gospel. El evangelio había hecho tal obra en su corazón the, y en su vida. The gospel had made a great transformation in his life, and his heart. Que él... No importaba lo que enfrentara, él no se iba a callar. He he didn't care what what he was going to go through. He wasn't going to quiet down to share. Lo que significa que si nosotros no estamos compartiendo las buenas nuevas. Which means if we're not sharing the good news, the gospel. Es porque probablemente no hemos sido
1: impactados
0: por el evangelio de esa manera. Maybe we haven't been impacted by the gospel in that way. No hemos hemos entendido lo que Dios hizo por nosotros por medio de Jesucristo. We we probably don't understand what Jesus Jesus did as as he died for us on the cross. Así que necesitamos que ser impactados por el evangelio de esa forma. We need to be impacted by the gospel in that way. Para que no paremos de asombrarnos y de compartirlo. That we can't stop being on base and stop sharing the gospel. Soy yo te pregunto esta mañana. And, and I ask you this morning. ¿Has tú sido impactado por el evangelio de esa forma? Have you been impacted by the gospel in that way? ¿O tienes que conocer más del Señor, lo que él hizo por ti? Or do you need to know more of what he did for you? Es lo que estos es lo que estos hombres los mantuvo de pie frente a cualquier circunstancia. That's what maintained these men and women before any circumstance. Juan, Pedro, cuando enfrentaron también la muerte. John, uh, John cuando, and Peter, when they had to face death. También. Fue lo que los mantuvo a ellos de pie. That's what maintained them to be standing up for Christ. Y es lo único que a nosotros nos va a mantener de pie también. And that is the only thing that's going to keep us up, my brothers and sisters. Y tú que estás aquí no tienes a Cristo. And a few that. Are here and you don't have Jesus Christ. Hoy es el día que tu vida puede ser impactada por el evangelio. Let me tell you that today could be the day that your life could be impacted by this gospel. Si tú te arrepientes de tus pecados, if you repent of your sins, y confiesas al Señor Jesucristo you, como tu señor y salvador, you confess and trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Yo te ruego que no pierdas más tiempo. Don't waste no more time. El tiempo es corto. Time is short tenemos que no otro día de mañana we don't have the day of tomorrow assured my brother come to Christ, my friend recordemos el evangelio cada día de nuestras vidas let us remind ourselves of the gospel every day of our lives let's pray father we thank you for this morning for this opportunity that you give us to be here to be worshiping you, to be before you, and to call you our Father. Father, we ask you to please, to let us know more about you. Let our lives be impacted for the gospel in a way that we, we cannot stop sharing it and being amazed of what you did in the cross for us. All of this I ask and I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
2: In the eye of the storm, you remain in control. And in the middle of the war, you guard my soul. You alone are the anchor when my sails are torn. Your love surrounds me in the
1: eye of the soul. Well, church, we're moving through Acts. I promised that in July of 2020 we would finish the book, and we're almost there. Chapter 27, here we come, right? We are, uh, we, we, we're speeding it up. We just walked through three chapters. I know that's a lot to do in seven minutes. But we're going to walk through Acts chapter 27 together this morning. I think the main point in which God wants to tell us according to his word in chapter 27 is this. Christ's kingdom has come to the nations. Amen? It is the declaration that Christ's kingdom has come. I don't know if you've ever read chapter 27, I hope that you have before you came in this morning uh, in our Preparing to Worship guide this morning, but if you haven't, it's about a shipwreck of Paul. Paul is on a ship to Rome, he appeals to Caesar, and on his way, he has a little trouble There's a lot of paper here in the New Testament for a story about a shipwreck and a crew who are saved by the hand of God in a storm. Paul makes his way to Rome and to Caesar. There is a great big storm ending in a shipwreck. Now, why is this significant? Do you know why this is significant? The, the Bible takes a lot of paper here in chapter 27. Well, it reminds me of another story of God's word. Remember the wicked city of Nineveh in which God had called the prophet Jonah to go and to call out the wickedness of the city because the evil has come up to God. Basically, it's God's man, God's prophet Jonah. God needs him to go and testify that judgment is coming to that kingdom, the kingdom of Assyria, that their wickedness has come up to the Lord God himself. And the story of Acts 27 has significant similarities to the story of Jonah. There is a call to God's man to go. Jonah to Nineveh, and Paul to testify in Rome. There's obviously a ship involved. There's a crew involved. There's also a storm involved in both stories. No-go Jonah, remember him? He goes in the wrong direction, while Paul willingly goes to Rome in chains. Both suffer extreme storms, one in the instance, the crew must be thrown over, I'm sorry, Jonah must be thrown over to save the crew. Jonah one twelve says this, he said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea, then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. And so he tells them to throw him overboard. In the case of Paul, the crew must stay on the boat with the man of God to be saved. Look at verse 31 here of chapter 27. Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. They're trying to escape and Paul says, you must stay with me in order to be saved. But what I want to focus on this morning is this. God sends both these great men to these great and wicked cities of the world to declare his rule and his reign among the nations. One to Assyria and one to Rome. Look at with me in chapter 27, verse 21. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said... Men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar." And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. (laughs) But the word I want you to hear this morning is this. The angel tells Paul, you must go and stand before Caesar. Now, why is this? Why must Paul go to Rome? Why must he stand before Caesar? Because he's going to declare that the kingdom of God is here among us. Remember, when Jesus began his ministry, in Mark chapter 1, verse 14, it says this, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The kingdom of God is here, is what Jesus begins in his ministry You see, from the beginning of time, there has been a cosmic battle being waged between the kingdom of God and the domain of darkness. The seed or the followers of the serpent, Satan, and the seed or the children of God himself. Remember back in the garden, the, the, God says to the serpent, he says this, I will put enmity between you, the serpent, and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, talking about the seed of the woman crushing the head of the serpent, and you shall bruise his heel." The offspring of God and the offspring of the ancient serpent will be at war with one another, but God will raise up one who will crush the enemy, even though the enemy will strike. Nineveh is a representative of the wicked kingdom of Satan. In Genesis 10, the table of nations, there's an Antichrist like figure who builds the Tower of Babel. You know that. His name is Nimrod, and he builds this tower up for himself to be like God, to make himself go to the heavens like God. Genesis 10 tells us that Nimrod is like a mighty hunter before the Lord, and the beginning of his kingdom is Babel. And it continues from there after the Tower of Babel He went into Assyria and built Nineveh. He he builds Nineveh, this wicked and great city. It is a type of beast, if you will, in Daniel, which describes these wicked empires. The Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and the largest and most wicked in Daniel chapter 7 is Rome. And as these beasts who persecute God's people are types of the ancient serpent's kingdom, and now Paul must go to the heart of the kingdom of darkness and testify to Caesar. Who is this Caesar, you ask? This Caesar is Nero himself, possibly the most wicked and cruel human being who persecuted and killed Christians in horrific and humiliating ways. Paul would go to testify to this man, Nero Caesar, and to Rome, the beast in which is described in Daniel chapter 7, because he would declare the kingdom of God is here and has conquered the kingdom of the enemy. So why does this matter, church? I know I'm out of time, but why does this matter? Revelation 12, 9 through 11 tells us the story For the accuser of our our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God and they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. For they love their lives not even to death. This is why Paul goes to Rome to declare the authority of Christ and saying the kingdom of God has come now. He must go to Caesar. He must go to Rome. God's people declare Jesus as king. The enemy has no more hold upon the nations. Just as Jonah went to declare God as king over Assyria, Paul goes to Rome to declare That Jesus is king and the kingdom has come. The beginning of the book begins in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The kingdom of God has come. You will witness who Christ is. That he is king and Lord over all the nations. You say this, well, Rob, why, why is uh, everything, if God's kingdom has come over the nations and that he rules and reigns, why hasn't it been fully established? Well, there's a difference in this age before the second coming of Christ, because in this age, Christ sits at the right hand, far above all rule, authority, and power, and he does his saving work. But in the last day, every rule, authority, and power will be destroyed. Opposition will be over. Christ reigns until that work is completely finished. And Paul says this, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. And Revelation 20, 14 describes that then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. Jesus is coming back. He has established his kingdom now through his church. He rules and reigns today. And Paul is declaring that to the, to the wicked city of Rome and the wicked leader who is Nero Caesar. God's people must declare that in their life, in their place of ministry, in their workplace, and in their home. The king of heaven rules and reigns. The lamb who was slain has conquered Let us be a church that declares his glory among the nations. Let's pray. Father, we thank you.